Bonus So Money episode, Teresa Hassara, Head of Workplace Solutions at Mass Mutual. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Think about it. So many people first engage with their retirement plan at work when everything is new to them. They're starting a new job. They're trying to learn their benefits. They're trying to learn what the new workplace is going to be like, their boss, etc. And so they're just surrounded in this sea of newness. And then they have to make these big decisions. Raise your hand if you have a 401k at work and wondering if you're making the most of it or if you're not investing for retirement yet and wondering how to get started. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We have a special bonus episode brought to us today by MassMutual. I've recently partnered with them to help spread literacy on the issues related to saving for retirement, and we're going to unpack a lot of learning today with Teresa Hassara, who leads the workplace solutions business at MassMutual, providing comprehensive financial wellness services, including retirement plans to over 30,000 companies and about 3 million plan participants. Teresa has a bachelor's from Vanderbilt University. She has an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. She's also a member of the board of directors for Jobs for the Future and an active supporter of a variety of organizations focused on mentorship for women and young people in under-resourced communities. To complement this interview, I also have a piece on somoneypodcast.com in this episode page on how women can get on track towards a secure retirement. So check that out. And for more, visit massmutual.com. Here we go. Here's Teresa Hassara. Teresa Hassara, welcome to So Money. How are you? Oh, for Noosh, I'm doing great. And you, do you have a nice weekend? I did. I did. I, I was busy packing. I'm heading to the airport now, uh, going out to Los Angeles to visit Stack's house. Wish me luck at the airport. Oh, but you should be heading to Sunshine. That's true. That's true. Sunnier pastures. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's important, I think, sometimes on this podcast to derail from the regularly scheduled programming to do a deep dive on a particular topic. And one of the big questions I often get from listeners, an area where there's a lot of curiosity, is retirement and investing. It sort of makes me proud knowing that my audience cares so much about their future selves. You know, retirement can feel so abstract, yet here we are, many of us in the audience curious about, concerned about really, how to save appropriately today to be able to retire with quote unquote enough in the bank. Your work, Teresa, has been dedicated to helping people prepare, plan for retirement. You're the head of Workplace Solutions at MassMutual. Your initiative is all about creating comprehensive financial wellness services. That includes retirement plans, 30,000 companies, 3 million participants. If you had to create a title or a caption, to describe the state of retirement planning in our country today. What what is that title? I think the headline is that, you know, there is um, there has been a lot of education, a lot of activity, a lot of focus on retirement. 
However, there are just way too many people that are underprepared. Um, I think it's about 60% of American workers um, who own less than 25000 in financial assets, and that's excluding the value of their primary re- residence. And when you look at just the cost of health care and retirement and that fact that people are living longer, that's not going to be nearly enough to see them through. So while I'm hopeful, um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to secure people's financial futures. And so that's why I'm so passionate about what I do and really love um, uh, the work that we do and how we're enabling people to think differently and get more prepared. Well, let's talk about some of those ways to help people get prepared through your 401k at work or depending on where you work, it could be called a 403b or a variation of that. The workplace retirement plan is really today the biggest driver of savings for the future. It used to be pensions. We used to be able to rely more on Social Security, not so much the case. How do you get participants to you know, be motivated to participate, first of all, and then participate enough, right, so that they can retire with, quote unquote, enough in the bank? That's a great, it's a great question because if you think about it, so many people um, first engage with their retirement plan at work when everything is new to them. They're starting a new job. They're trying to learn their benefits. They're trying to learn, you know, uh, what the new workplace is going to be like, their boss, et cetera. And so they're just surrounded in this sea of newness. And then they have to make these big decisions. And so breaking through the clutter at that time is particularly important. And we try and do it in multiple ways, right? We do it through incredibly rich content um, on our website. We do it through one-on-one meetings. We work very closely with the employers um, who we support their plans. We work with about 30,000 employers across the country um, to make sure that as people are beginning work and making those critical first decisions that uh, we're breaking through the noise and the confusion and helping them understand the path to success. And I, and I think there's some new tools in our toolkit. Recently, many plans have adopted um, auto savings, right? So they're automatically putting people in the retirement plan rather than having them elect in to make it a little bit easier in those uh, early days. And then auto escalation, which allows folks who think that maybe they can't afford to contribute too much to be able to um, elect maybe a one, a two, a 3% contribution rate early on, um, and then escalate over time um, so that they can end up at much higher rates, you know, down the road when things become more affordable and they're more comfortable with what the retirement savings plan is all about. So I think it's, you can't just use one tool in your toolkit because adults learn in in all different ways. And so, you know, some folks really like to go deep on the website and they're very self-motivated learners. Others need more one-on-one support. um, And then others like to be part of a group setting. And Back to the point you made earlier in the call, I'm so proud when I go to our seminars because women really speak up. That didn't, that wasn't so much the case when I think back, you know, 15 plus years ago, um, women were relatively quiet, but I think more and more they're recognizing, you know, their financial future is up to them and they're not allowing fear or concern of looking like, um, they may not have it all figured out, stand in their way. So I think you've got to have a lot of different options and and approaches in your arsenal to be successful. I'm sure you're hearing more and more these days with uh, so many young workers and even uh, mid-level workers, the difficulty of shaking off those student loans and how student loans can create a barrier 
to investing because you feel like you have to manage your debt first before you can really start to address investing and saving for your future. I mean, the truth is your money has limits, right? And if you've got student loans plus expenses and perhaps other kinds of debt, investing for your future can just feel uh, like, okay, I don't have time for this now, maybe down the road. How are employers, how is Mass Mutual addressing this, right? So that employees can feel that they do have the capacity and that they should prioritize retirement even if they have debt? You know, that's a that's a great question. And it often starts not with the individual employee. It starts with their employer and talking to them about how they have to have solutions that work for everybody, right? And, you know, the state of debt is enormous. It's mind-boggling. And, um, it, you know, it you can't ignore it, right? And yet, I also see that it stands in the way, um, particularly if you think about the power of compounding. If folks can't be investing in their 20s, they're really putting themselves behind the eight ball for where they need to be in terms of saving for their retirement. So we have, we address that head on in our educational seminars. We also have a couple of tools on our website that help people model. Um, how can they best allocate the money that they have for their benefits programs and for um, their investments and savings to help them achieve their goals. And then we talk about it in our in our meetings. And I think from a one-on-one perspective, what I try and stress is savings and investment, it's really a habit you want to start young, right? So you may feel like it's not even worth it to put 2% of your compensation away, but 2% matters and it builds up over time. And if you just get started and then begin to grow it as you can afford to do more, that's a really healthy and balanced approach to take. But you can't ignore it. Um, and it it needs to be tackled head, head on. And it's a conversation that uh, I think is increasingly increasingly important. Mm. Part of your work, Teresa, at Mass Mutual is to provide financial wellness services and certainly retirement plans, retirement benefits are a part of that. But what is the totality of financial wellness services? What is the scope? So uh, we we absolutely provide retirement support, um, investment solutions, IRAs. Uh, We also provide an array of what we consider protection products. So whole life, disability, critical illness, accident, those types of uh, financial solutions that you really do need to have in a well-rounded plan. Um, And we also offer those through the workplace. And to your point, I think it is really helpful when you have have someone in HR or oftentimes we have the CFO or the president of the company or someone else in the company that has uh, a strong voice and people admire and respect come and talk at our seminars about the paths they followed and the decisions they've made and how important they have been to their financial success. Because you do need people that you trust, that you have faith in, that have your best interest at heart to kind of clut, you know, uh, break through the clutter. Right. You know, I see it. I see financial wellness being a big part of the benefits package or the benefits offerings at companies where companies are recognizing that if you're not financially healthy or you don't have confidence or security around your money situation, that can impact your stress levels, which can then impact productivity. It's a big domino effect. 
Absolutely. And there are all kinds of productivity studies on that. And for women, it appears to be even more even more stress, stressful. Uh, 64% of women feel like preparing for retirement is stressful. That's 53% of men. And it's so interesting to me because when we look at financial literacy, right, when we have folks take tests about their understanding about their financial constraints, financial solutions, um, investment products, savings products, et cetera, women tend to to actually score much higher in terms of competence and understanding, but lower in terms of confidence. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Is it just that we are, have been conditioned not to think of money as a, a female domain, to be frank? I mean, it, I grew up thinking like money was a man's domain. Investing especially was a man's thing. Um, it was like sports. And so I, 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 yeah, you can read all about it, but are you really confident? Has anyone prepared you? Right. I, I think you're exactly right. I think it's been looked at as a man's domain. I think that um, I think that sometimes we use language in the industry that is so off-putting, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that it is oftentimes that, you know, responsibilities in a household are divided and women often take the budgeting responsibility versus the investing um, and savings. Um, so I think there are lots of dynamics at play there. Um, but I do feel like women are beginning to recognize, you know, there, there's really significant ramifications for them if uh, they don't jump in. And it's interesting, so many women that I see and talk to about their own financial well-being come at it from a place of caretaking. They really are in the stage of their life where they're taking care often of their parents or others and they have young kids or they have kids that want to go to college and they recognize um, that they can't do well by others if they're not taking care of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's those social and emotional responsibilities that they have that are often the motivator for them to get more involved with their finances. I agree with you. I think women are often at the forefront of caretaking. That makes a lot of sense. What then you think motivates men, generally speaking, to get a head start on their finances, on their financial future? You know, I think caretaking is added as well. They feel a deep, you know, connection and responsibility to those they love. But I also think they have probably been talked to about saving money earlier in their lives. That's not true for everyone, but it's just hardwired. It's hardwired, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of, as you said, it's been more of a male domain. I think they tend to look at it more as a game and they talk about it more socially. Right. Right. And I think women have tra- kind of treated it as a taboo subject. Um, and we've just got to get out there like you're doing and, and talk more about it and have fun with it as well. Um, and, and bring maybe some of those mentality, that mentality of, you know, I, uh, that it's not about avoiding risk. It's about seeing for risk for what it is mm-hmm. and taking smart and reasonable risks and engaging with your peers and getting their best ideas too. You're right. Risk is inherent to investing. And I think that what's ironic to me is that I think as women, we're, we're good at taking risk in other realms of life. I think that it just is packaged differently or it's messaged to us differently. So we're willing to jump in and, you know, partner up with someone, get married, which frankly has its risks. We're starting businesses at a fast clip that also carries risk. 
we switch jobs without all the answers. That's risky. And for me, I think that what helps me overcome the you know, sometimes the insecurities about investing, we're all human, I have them even, is knowing that I won't need this money for decades. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't bother myself to be looking at the stock market's ups and downs every single day. I know the market was had some pretty bad days recently and whatever, you know, I got good days ahead too. You can't control that. And so you really have to focus on what you can control. And I think having that long view, like you're suggesting, um, and, and seeing the trade-offs and really talking about it in terms of what role do you want money to play in your life? Right. And, and seeing that it's actually a pathway to freedom, right? You can't really live the life you want to live if you don't have the financial resources to make the tough decision to leave the job that you no longer have joy from or, you know, to, to move from the area that where you don't want to be, right? Or to maybe even, you know, separate from someone who isn't bringing you happiness. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to be in the position where you have to live a life set by the terms of money. I really appreciate that you use the word financial freedom. And I think that's really putting it in a phrase that speaks to me as a woman. And I think a lot of my friends who are women, and I'm going to generalize and say that that's really uh, more our speed. I think it's a good reminder that when you have money and you pointed this out too, it's not just so that you can go out there and like buy the things that you need and provide for your family. That's all important, but it's also your ticket to security, to be able to leave bad situations, not have to compromise your values. If you're, you know, in a job that doesn't make you happy or in a relationship that doesn't make you happy, you're not beholden to those standards and to that lifestyle because you have actually the freedom to leave, which is so empowering. And just, again, really important to remember. I'd love to transition now to learning more about your journey, Teresa, how you arrived at this space of helping people with financial wellness. Have you always been interested in this? What brought you here? I think I probably have been interested for a good bit of my life. And I, it probably got started when I was really young and I'm from a big family, um, and rich in love and rich in opportunity, but, you know, making ends meet was always something that kind of was at the forefront. And so I started doing chores like really young, right? Um, I was four, I think when I started ironing my father's handkerchiefs, like back in the day when they wore handkerchiefs and pillowcases, things like little hands could do. And I loved that feeling of doing something well, and then having the ability to go out and buy something, have the ability to make choices that were my own. And so it started really young. And um, my mother always kind of made a game of finding value. So we would go to this like day old bread store and um, once or, you know, once every week, every two weeks. And she would say, all right, if we can save X amount of money, then we can get that package of Twinkies or the Ho-Hos or whatever they were. And so (laughs) it became more like a game finding value. Um, And so it started at a really young age. And um, my parents started talking to me about college early on and what was affordable and what wasn't affordable and, you know, where I might need a scholarship. And so it was, it was not a fearsome thing. It wasn't, uh, 
something we avoided talking about. Um, and uh, oftentimes it was made into a game, which was great. I kind of fell into the field, really, in terms of once I came out of school or I was actually I was um, at Wharton and looking at a bunch of different opportunities and kind of product management, financial services, et cetera. But I was working at the entrepreneurial center there and um, just loving it, loving working with people that were starting their own businesses and bringing all this creativity and excitement. Um, but I also saw how hard it was. And I got an offer from a, a bank, a financial services company, to really uh, help them build out their retirement organization. And it was great because it had technology and service. And I would have a PL and a group of people to lead. And so it was really not so much just retirement. It was kind of the opportunity to do all of those things within the context of retirement where I felt like you really can do good. You can help people uh, make better decisions so they can lead the life that they want to lead. And so that's how I kind of fell into it. And I've loved it every day since. What's your greatest money moment? Is there an experience that you had that uh, you're just really proud about that really captures your greatest financial moment? You know, I, I don't know if it was really one moment, but I have four kids and my husband, Mike, and I have really tried to save and invest and be disciplined about, you know, making sure that we got the family vacations and the trips and we did the things that kind of build family over time, but also save for the future. And so the fact that we were able to help our kids come out of college without significant amount of debt, right? I, that's my greatest, that's my greatest joy um, in terms of money moment um, because I see them now having the freedom to make decisions, to explore, uh, to do things they might not otherwise do. My daughter came out of school, worked for two years and said to me, listen, I'm not crazy about this job, um, but I love my boss. I love my team, but I really, I, I haven't, I want to see the world a little bit more. And so I want to go to Australia and New Zealand for a year and work there. What do you think? And I said, all right, let's, get saving, right? And she saved like mad and she made that a reality. And I am so proud of her for doing that. And uh, I also recognize, you know, if she had it been, if she'd been holding so much debt, she may never have even dreamt about that. Mm. So I, I try and make sure, not just in talking to young people about student debt, but to their parents, that you got to think about education as an investment and make sure that for the money you're going to spend, you're going to get a good return on that investment. I think it's critical. I couldn't have had this life I've had if without uh, a really strong education, but you can get great education at a lot of places and not go into huge amount of debts getting that a huge amount of debt getting that education. Wow. Yeah. That was a long answer to a no. pretty simple question. No, but it's such a good answer. And I also want to just say how awesome it is of you to be that parent that encourages your kids to follow a little bit of the unbeaten path. I'm trying to imagine what my parents would have said to a young twenty something Farnoosh who was like, I'd like to travel for a year and not work. I think they would have come around to it eventually, but uh, it would have taken a lot of convincing. And 
I think it's true for a lot of parents who want the best for their kids. It's it's scary to get behind them. Your kids wanting to do something that is unconventional, uh, that could interrupt their careers, that could mean not making money for a period of time. Oh, it was scary, right? We had mm-hmm. to take a big, deep gulp a couple of times and then go through it with her and then talk about, okay, how do you come back mm-hmm. with richer experience? How are you going to kind of market what you've done? Um that's so so that you get value from it in your, you know, in this next chapter of your career. So, um, you know, but it, there were those moments and it really was a learning for me about how we get on these treadmills in our life, just keep going in a direction and how important it is to like take time to say, am I, do I even want to be on this treadmill? Is this the right thing for me? at this point in my life, or do I need to stop and start another chapter? And, uh, you know, I think for so many of us, we're trained, right? Like, this is the way life works. This is the way your career should unfold. And it's, we've got to make sure we're doing what works best for us. And that's hard. And if you have financial freedom, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I love this story. It's such a great illustration of how money can can really be a tool for you to afford yourself some risk, especially at a time in your life when you um, wouldn't think to otherwise, you know, not having student loans, saving money like your daughter did, that afforded her the ability to take a chance and do something that was really important to her, but also perhaps a little risky when her peers may not have been able to afford that. She had no debt, she had savings, she had the backing obviously of her family, that's huge. That goes a very, very long way. Awesome. All right, Teresa, let's flip it a little bit. Maybe is there a story that captures a failure of, of some scale, large or small, doesn't really matter, but something that you're willing to share openly and uh, was, a, was a lesson learned? Oh my gosh. My husband and I, <laughs> when we were in our 30s, decided to invest in this kind of startup early stage company. And, you know, friends were doing it. It seemed kind of smart. And we just were so busy that we didn't really talk much about it or really think about the inherent risks in the business model or how it would feel to be on the wrong side of it. Um, And we lost everything. We lost that whole investment. Mm -hmm. And um, it didn't happen all at once. We also didn't think about the anxiety we would feel as it was going south and, and the opportunity cost of it. But it was such an important lesson for us about uh, really making sure we talk through things together and that we have the same ideas about what success look like and it looks like. And frankly, I was like the weak partner in that conversation and in that process because I was just focused on other things. And I just... I think I just assumed it would work and didn't use, you know, didn't use all of my best judgment. So um, while it ended up not being a moneymaker for us, I think we learned a ton about it. And I don't think it made us risk averse. It just made us more more thoughtful, maybe, um, in where and how we're going to take our risks. Mm-hmm. So was it the amount of money that you invested you know, my husband and I also in recently invested in a startup and we had the conversation ahead of that of like, okay, how much would we be willing to put in an amount that we would be okay with losing? We would prefer to 
earn something from that, but like, we're not going to, um, we're not betting the farm. We're not going to lose sleep over this. It's, it's, it's a risk. And we want to kind of take this gamble. Was there not that alignment ahead of time as far as what you were each willing to lose? I think we had different appetites about what about that, what we could afford to lose, right? Um, and we hadn't worked all the way through that. And we should have just had clear conversations about that, right? Because I'm, I, you, I think it's really important that you're investing in businesses at all different stages. I think it just was, I uh, had a different point of view when it got to the real kind of rubber hits the road about, mm, you know, that was probably more than we should have placed on that one bet. Well, this has so far been so fun, Teresa. Let's make this even more fun uh, with some so many fill in the blanks. Let's transition now. I'm going to start a sentence. You finish it. Don't overthink it. Here we go. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? The first thing I would do is double check that I did, in fact, win. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love this question so much. And I've been thinking about, should we put this question out in our seminars? Because I think it forces you to think about what is it I really value? What is the role of money in my life, et cetera? So I think the first thing I would do, and Mike and I would do, is sit down and say, all right, we've got this incredible good fortune. What do we, how do we want to put it to work? And I think we think about uh, how do we help the kids? Um, we plan a trip with my parents who are, who are older and won't have many more years where they can really go abroad. There are a couple of places they want to see. And then we love to travel as well. So I think we'd best get some, some trips planned and think about, you know, who else in the world uh, do we care passionately about and can help? We, we tend to contribute to causes around poverty and children. So I think that would be part of our planning too, but we'd put a plan together. That's wonderful. Okay. How about this one? One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better or both is having my house cleaned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And you know, sometimes there's joy in just tidying up. I actually do believe that. Yeah. But it, it doesn't go to the top of my list most days. And so having somebody that, uh, and sh- that comes in and helps with that so that I'm not stressed by the clutter all around, like it's really important to my overall well-being. All right. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? That it's hard to kind of say between investing and the power of compounding, but which is more important, but I think the power of compounding, Mm -hmm. right? Recognizing the earlier you get started, the lighter your load will be over the course of your life. Um, I took tons of math classes, right? And you would think that would have been drilled into my brain, but um, I I think if people really understood the magic of that, um, it would make a big difference in terms of there'd be a lot more people eager to get started very early in their life. It's like one plus one is three. (laughs) That's how I explain compound interest. I mean, it's a little more nuanced than that, but that's how I try to bring to life the, the power of compounding growth. All right, here we go. Last so money fill in the blank. Make it a good one, Teresa. I'm Teresa Hassara. I'm so money because... Because I get that life is about so much more than just money. Money's a tool in our toolbox for happiness. And I have had the great fortune of being able to help lots of people figure out how to use that tool to their best advantage. And we love you for it. Thank you so much, Teresa. And for everybody listening, head over to the Mass Mutual website. I have an article entitled, Five Simple Ways for Women to Get on Track Towards Retirement. 
Teresa, thank you so much again. We really appreciate your time. Have a great rest of your spring, summer, and wishing you continued success. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. For five simple ways for women to get on track towards retirement, go to somoneypodcast.com and click on this episode link. And for more, check out massmutual.com. Hope your day is so money. So money.